because my uh, proposal for a feminine economy and the work I do advising on uh, feminist business practices is really uh, an answer to what I see as not working. Welcome to What Works. I'm your host, Tara Gentili. On What Works, our goal is to break through best practices, transcend conventional wisdom, and put theory to the test. To do that, we talk to real small business owners about what's actually working for them right now and deep dive on the who, what, how, and why of how it works. My guest this week is Jennifer Armbrust, the founder and director of Sister, where she cultivates teaching and tools for the feminine economy, practices embodied business, and runs Feminist Business School. Jennifer has 15 years of entrepreneurial experience as owner or partner of five businesses. She's been advising entrepreneurs since 2012. I wanted to learn more about how Jennifer's approach to the feminine economy was impacting the choices she was making in her own business as it grows and takes on new forms. We chat about how her approach to feminist business models impacted the way she arranged her office, why redefining success has been key to creating a business in line with her values, and how her identity has shifted as she's gone from consultant to founder and leader. Jennifer Armbrust, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Awesome. All right. Well, I'd love for us to kind of start setting the stage for your unique take on building businesses that work by actually having you explain what the feminine economy is and sort of your vision for a feminist framework for entrepreneurship in general. Great. I love that your focus right now is about what's working because my uh, proposal for a feminine economy and the work I do advising on uh, feminist business practices is really uh, an answer to what I see as not working. So here we are in late stage capitalism, neoliberalism in America, and I would say it's not going very well. I really see like this huge stratification of wealth is getting worse. There's the degradation of the planet, the environment, deregulation. Uh, There's just a lot that I think is not going well. We have right now like an amplified um, situation around race in this country where we haven't ever actually dealt with the systemic racism in America. And so I think a lot is not working. And so for me, the feminine economy is a framework and it's an ideal. And it comes out of a long interest I have in gender and economics. So my undergraduate degree was in critical theory, which is uh, postmodern philosophy and what is now called intersectionality. But at the time when I was in school, back in the 90s, uh, it was race, class, and gender studies. So during my time in the academy, I was really fascinated with this study of power, like what it is, how it moves, strategies for redistributing it. And... um, After college, those fascinations basically went into hibernation and I stepped into entrepreneurship. And I started my first business when I was 24. It was an art gallery in Portland, Oregon, and I ran that for five years. And then I had a um, a number of different businesses after that. Um, I ran a small interactive web design firm. I was a partner in an online arts magazine. I um, did business strategy. And then now I'm doing uh, teaching and consulting around this idea of the feminine economy, and I created an online school called Feminist Business School. So the feminine economy, (laughs) basically, um, a a few years ago, I was asked by the Creative Mornings Lecture Series to give a talk on the theme of revolution. And at that point, I had 15 years of entrepreneurship, five businesses under my belt, and I found myself in this exciting moment of integration. I had this epiphany that by applying feminine and feminist principles 
to economics and business, I could give birth to a new framework for entrepreneurship. So let's just get some shared language around what, the, what a feminine economy means. So first of all, what is an economy? I would suggest that an economy is a system that determines worth and allocation. And what is feminism? I think this is such an important question for this, this moment. Mm -hmm. And for this, I like to borrow a definition by my hero, Bell Hooks, who's a leading feminist thinker. I love her work. It's heartfelt. She's brilliant, accessible. And, um, and she has this intersectional analysis, meaning uh, she's looking at the intersection of race, of class, sexu sexuality, gender, nationality, and so on, and how that impacts the way women experience oppression differently. So she gives us this really beautiful definition, which is, simply put, feminism is a movement to end sexism, sexist exploitation, and oppression. So what is an economy? What is feminism? And then what is feminine? This is a word I use a lot. Mm -hmm. Masculine and feminine are archetypes. So male and female are bodies, but masculine and feminine are archetypes, right? And so mm -hmm. like all archetypes, there's not a specific answer. <laughs> <laughs> so we're collectively creating archetypes and, and modifying them all the time. It's a conglomerate, a collection of qualities. So um, for example, the mother archetype is shifting now. Like in the past, the mother archetype and the breadwinner were two distinct archetypes. And now we're in a moment where those are commingling. And we can think about how like the computer nerd is this archetype that didn't exist before the 80s, but now we all know it. So we're collectively making and modifying archetypes all the time. Business is an archetype too. And I'm really interested in changing the business archetype, which is mm. part of this project, right? Yeah. So there's not a fixed or finite answer about what masculine or feminine is, but we can look at the gestalt. So if I even ask you, like, what is masculine or what is feminine? You probably have some ideas come to mind immediately. Yeah? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So... There's not a specific answer, but we have these collective agreements about what these things mean. So um, there's a book that was written called The Athena Doctrine, which for you and your listeners who really like statistical analysis might like that. <laughs> it sounds wonderful just hearing the name of it. So. <laughs> yeah, it's the subtitle is how men and or excuse me, how women and men who think like them will rule the world. So um Gazerma, I think is how you pronounce the author's name, he did this global study around masculine and feminine qualities and um, our generalized associations with each of those archetypes. And in this large-scale study, um, he found that there was collective agreement that masculine, I won't read all the lists because it's really long, but I'll read a few things. Um, masculine is rugged, dominant, strong, arrogant, rigid, leader, natural leader, analytical, proud, decisive, ambitious, overbearing, hardworking. We're seeing some business words in here too, right? Mm -hmm. Logical, consensus builder, et cetera, so on. Competitive, assertive, driven. Uh, feminine is original, free-spirited, charming, trustworthy, articulate, reliable, dedicated, dependable, community-oriented, creative, flexible, intuitive, so these are just a few. You can check out the whole book if you want to read the whole thing. Um, you know, my definitions of masculine and feminine vary slightly from these lists, and I'm sure yours do too. So to get back to the feminine economy, there's just one more piece of this puzzle, which is what is capitalism? 
If I ask you, Tara, is it, can, do you think you could put it into words? Oh, man. Uh, this is where my uh, uh, kind of education in economics, I think, is going to fail me. But I would say capitalism is um, the... the ugh. Yeah, no, I think I'm having problems. Tricky, it right? <laughs> oh, man, I had to relearn it. I had totally. to relearn it, too. And how funny is that? Because we are in it. Yes, right? absolutely. We are in it. Yeah. So capitalism is both an economic system and a worldview and ideology. Yeah. So it is the economic system of the private ownership of the means of production, as opposed to state or collective ownership, and their operation for profit. So profit is this quintessential part of capitalism too, privatization and profit. And then there's the worldview piece. So the ideology, capitalism is a way that we see the world. And I would say that that is about values. And that's where my work comes in. Because when I start to dissect the ideals of capitalism, the ideology that's where it seems to be a really masculine economy. So this was what I talked about in the talk, and you can watch the whole talk on my website. Um, but and since since we're on audio and people can't see, there is I did make these beautiful little diagrams that show the the masculine economy and the feminine economy. Since you can't see those, I'll just read them to you. <laughs> we'll post them with the show notes too. Yes, I love it. So when I think of like the values of capitalism, what it rewards, what it exalts, what it uh, believes in, I really see it being these masculine traits of ego, um, the meritocracy, meaning your value comes from your productivity, profit worship, the vilification of poverty, domination of people and nature. And I would include in that um, the systemic racism that I think is a part of capitalism and sexism too. Um, materialism, ownership, inequitable distribution of wealth, hierarchy, ends justifying means, stoicism, non-accountability, speed and efficiency, competition, individualism, linear growth, scarcity consciousness, and perpetual consumption. So it's obviously a slightly opinionated list, but <laughs> that, that was what I came up with. Um, so my proposal, with my proposal for the feminine economy, the question I'm really asking is, if capitalism is an economy that values masculine traits, what could another economy look like? So that's where we get the feminine economy. It's a, it's a question. It's almost a backwards question. Instead of saying, what would the economy what economy do we need for feminine values? Instead, I'm saying, what if we start valuing feminine principles? Will that shift the economy? So I think a feminine economy might include resourcefulness, mindfulness, gratitude, integrity, honesty, connecting with nature, empathy, care, asking questions, sustainability, intimacy, embodiment, gener generosity, ease, collaboration, interdependence, cyclical growth, and abundance consciousness. So again, these are on the diagrams. But um, with the feminine economy, I'm proposing a new set of values and a redistribution of money and power based on feminine principles, excuse me, feminine principles. So I want to be clear that what I'm talking about is not what some people would call conscious capitalism. Mm -hmm. My work is actually capitalist critical. I think capitalism is the problem. And we know from like scholarship as old as Marx, as recent as Piketty, that capitalism inherently breeds inequality. Some people might be okay with that. That for me is not in alignment with my values. So I want to propose business as a site to embody new values 
and create new economies and experiment with redistributions of power and resources in a more equitable way. So that is my vision for the feminine economy. Yes. Well, as you know, I absolutely love it. I found you through that Creative Mornings talk that you gave back a, a little over, well, I found you a little over a year ago. I think the, the talk is older than that. Um, but I'm I'm absolutely fascinated with your take on this. And I'm so glad that you brought up um, the difference between your approach, your perspective, your philosophy, and conscious capitalism. Uh, because I mean, I think there's there's a lot to be said for that uh, for those ideas, or maybe even to say those ideals, but the reality I, I think of it as you have have really articulated is is still very very broken. There's still a lot that's just fundamentally in. in uh, it's not aligned with, I think, how a lot of us want to run our businesses, the economy that we want to live in, the society that we want to live in. And I really, really ap appreciate your fresh approach. So uh, that, you know, we're we're kind of in a conceptual arena right now. And yeah. I want to start bringing it into um, a, some more specifics. And I want to get to your business specifically in just a bit. But before we do that, let's take a look at what you think is the difference between what works. So maybe some of the specifics of running a business, doing marketing, doing sales, um, labor in a more masculine economy or in the capitalist economy versus what could work or what is working in businesses that are set up uh, in this more feminine model? Yeah, that is a great question. And in some ways, that is a, like, that is the question that I'm asking. I don't, right. like, I don't have all the answers. It's more like, what can we learn by trying things in this way? It's mm. a really rich and complicated question because in some ways what works is the masculine economy, is embodying <laughs> right. those principles in business. But that is if your version of success is uh, aligned with this meta version of success of like you profit, you make more, you know, you pay the lowest wages, you return to shareholders. Like if that is your version of your business working, it's going to work if you, you know, if you follow mm -hmm. the status quo. So my work is for me, first of all, but for other people who, um, who that isn't their definition of success, who that isn't what they want to achieve in their lifetime, you know, who has a, a different set of values, a different set of aims and a different metric for success. So, um, I'm really looking at, and that's even, so for that, um, for the feminine economy talk, I also outlined 12 principles for prototyping a feminist business, which again, you can see in the talk if you want, but one of those number six is reclaim happiness and write new definitions of success. That together is that one principle, because I think there is a way in which it might work to create these um, traditionally, quote, successful businesses. But is, is that going to make you happy? I think there's a piece of happiness that has to do with integrity, integrity being acting in alignment with our beliefs, with our values, with what we hold dear. You know, so for me, happiness is, is part and parcel of that, of creating a business where I am making choices that I believe in and making choices that move me and the world towards the vision that I hold dear. 
Yeah, I love that. You know, as you've been talking, I've been thinking a lot about my experience um, and kind of what's working for me in my business right now. And and a lot of the changes that I've made over the last uh, 15 months or so. Um, And, you know, one of them is kind of redefining what success looks like, because I think Mm -hmm. that there's a lot of folks in this kind of solo entrepreneurship world, independent business world who have you know, we think we're doing this almost subversive thing and having our own business and look at me having a flexible schedule and look at me being my own boss. And we fall into what is familiar. We fall into the patterns of capitalism and these more masculine values um, because that's all we see around us. Right. And so I, I think of people who are building bigger and bigger platforms at all costs, who are enrolling more and more and more customers at all costs, at all, you know, at crazy price points. Um and I had, I, you know, I was part of that for a long time. And, you know, over the last year, I've been really kind of stepping back from that and realizing, you know, this isn't, I, I'm not, I'm not helping to change power structures. I'm not helping to make the little guy more powerful if I'm doing so by trying to make myself bigger at the cost of others. Right. Um, and so I, I just, I love this idea of rethinking what success actually is and being very conscious about how that then you know, kind of lines up with the actual operations of your business and how you do things and how you decide what's in bounds and what's out of bounds. So mm-hmm. let's talk about your business specifically a- along those exact same lines. Can you tell yeah. us about a, a specific decision that you've made to align your business with the feminine economy, with this new vision of success or with happiness and how that's been working for you? Yeah. I mean, that for me is the project and it is a challenge. And I think it's just a day-to-day practice. I know, I know I'm like, Tara wants me to say something really grounded and tactical. And I'm like, <laughs> often like lofty ideology land. I can't help myself, but no, you um, know, it, I'm there too. I'm right there with you. <laughs> but it is like, I mean, it is the day-to-day choices, but it's also the day-to-day commitment. So, you know, I come, I've worked with artists. Most of my businesses have, have involved working with artists, coaching artists, guiding artists, like art is a big part of my practice and the way I approach this. And so for me, it's like, this is an art project of asking, like, um, uh, it's a creative act every day of going to my business and trying to take these ideas, these ideals and like, ask what, like, what are the choices, the structures, the, the way I'm setting up my business that's going to evoke those. And so I, it's hard for me to think of like really nitty gritty, but I can say that like, I, I have this commitment. My goal is to work 20 hours a week. Wow. I am in love with surfing. I moved to California a couple of years ago. I live by the beach. Like, you know, I've set my whole life up to be in nature, to be in California, to be close to the ocean. And like, so when I am looking at my business, I am asking like, how can I work less and enjoy more? Like I'm really interested in pleasure and pleasure as a source of power, as a source of guidance, as a source of prosperity. You know, I think I'm, I'm curious about what is the role of pleasure in business. So that's where I'm, you know, I just got this new office and it, it, it's like all these little choices of how do I set up my workspace, you know, and I decided mm. I want it to be really flexible. So I got a standing desk. I have a sitting desk. I have a <laughs> meditation pillow, but I was like, I want it to be honoring my body, which is also the first principle of 12 principles of prototyping a feminist business. You have a body. But so I'm saying like, if I believe that, if I believe number one in business, I have a body. Okay. Our bodies are things that we use 
in our day-to-day workspace. So how do I configure my workspace to support my body? So those are, that's how I'm kind of doing it is, um, is trying to not make the choice that other people made before me and just de facto follow a pattern of like, oh, you get four desks and four chairs and that's your office, you know? Instead, it's like, what is my office? What is like Jennifer Armbrust's office for sister? What is this space going to be and how do I work in it? Oh, that's a perfect example. I absolutely love that. Um, and I kind of want to ask you the opposite of this question too, which is, have you ever found yourself sort of accidentally or like surprised yourself by realizing, oh, that was kind of a status quo decision, or I was operating in the status quo. I was, ap- you know, operating out of uh, capitalist norms without really realizing it. Has that happened to you? Oh, 80% of the time. <laughs> that is like, I mean, that's, that I feel like that's when I go unconscious or when I'm just in autopilot, it's like, I'm going to make the choice other people made and get the results other people got, you know? So if I want to make different choices and get different results, it's an act of consciousness. It's a choice. It's like not going to happen accidentally. Even if I hang my entire wall with all my diagrams and commitments and intentions and principles, it's like, that's not going to, that's not going to do it. I'm going to have to actually make different choices. So I love that. (laughs) I'm so glad that you said that's 80% of the time (laughs) because I think, you know, when when we start talking about things that are feminist, things that are intersectional, like it's so easy to uh, kind of dwell on how imperfect we are about these things. Yeah. Uh, And it's so good to hear someone that is thinking about like this. It is literally your business to be thinking about this all of the time. Right. And to hear that, yeah, you make mistakes too, or you realize you have these subconscious biases towards the status quo. I don't know. It makes me feel a lot better. So I hope it makes listeners feel a lot better too. Oh yeah. Oh man. For sure. For sure. I actually made myself a sign. And when I say made a sign, it's like a Sharpie scrawled on a three by five inch note card and I hung it right by my desk and it just says bad feminist, which we can thank Roxanne Gay for that. But, you know, this is deep and challenging work. Any of us who want to to work for social transformation, we're going to make mistakes. You know, there's like there's ways that I have a ton of unconscious white privilege, for example, you know, that shows up Mm -hmm. and and it's that's where I feel like Brené Brown's work is really helpful. It's like, what do you do in that moment when you realize that you made a mistake and how can you be kind to yourself and, and accept that you're going to make mistakes and keep going? Because that I think is the tragedy is when people don't try because they're afraid of being a bad feminist or a bad business person or a bad, whatever it is, whatever your thing is, a bad artist. Um, Like I am more interested in the courage it takes to try and make mistakes and learn from those mistakes than the, the fear of, of making those mistakes and not trying at all. So, um, it's okay to be a bad feminist. I'm trying to just own that. (laughs) (laughs) You can be both good and bad at the same time. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Okay. Let's talk about the, the more political. Well, it's silly to say the more political side of your business, because really what we're talking about here is inherently political, right? It's, it's these power structures, it's changing power, the, the hands of power, who, what represents influence in our society, in our culture, in our economy. Um, But, you know, because of that, then, 
your business is inherently political and you don't shy away from making really polarizing or what could be really polarizing political statements, which I absolutely love because um, sometimes I wish I could be as brave as you, I think, and as um, and as, as in that as, as you are. Um, but that can be really tough when you're representing a company and a community and not just your personal point of view. And as you mentioned, you've kind of moved away from this solo entrepreneur consulting model into really representing a brand now mm -hmm. and, and something that is growing to be much larger than yourself. So how do you decide when you're thinking about your Instagram feed, when you're thinking about what you send out in, via email, how do you decide what gets said and what kind of stays personal? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would have to say there's not a line for me. Um, it's not hard for me to be political. I can see how it is hard for some people, but what's hard for me is to not be political. Mm -hmm. Like for me, that is another form of playing small. Like I care about politics. I love the history of social movements. I am excited about thinking about revolutionary tactics. I talk about current events. I read the news every day. Like I keep up on politics. I roll my eyes a hundred times a day right now. You know, like <laughs> I am, I like politics. I, that matters to me. And so I, like my first business was this art gallery, like I mentioned that I started when I was 25 and that was that was a business where I wasn't political at all. And I had just come out of college. In some ways, I needed a break from uh, really political studies and thinking and conversations. But this art gallery was really friendly and really nice. And I always felt like I was hiding a part of myself. I always felt like there was, it was not totally honest. Like I was Even kind of in Portland. <laughs> yeah. Well, Portland's an advertising town, which is a whole True. other conversation. But <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So for me, this feels good. It feels good to be political. And the choice of what to share is just what feels true and present at the time. And I, you know, I try not to be soapboxing. I don't, um, I don't write about things for the sake of writing about them or belonging to the resistance or something. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's really like if I feel moved and called and I have something to say, like I will say it. And I think that part of that is that I actually want to attract other people. You know, that is my business. I, I want the people who also care about those things to come find me. And the other part of it is that I see, I see myself especially more and more every day, stepping into a role of leadership. And so part of it is just modeling the courage to say what you believe in, it, especially in this time. But I think businesses have always been political, always. You know, when we look at America, corporations have huge political influence, yes. huge. And so for us to pretend that businesses aren't political, I think is somewhat dishonest. And I think it's it's, oh, again, to, to go touch on advertising, you know, I get really, uh, my hackles go up about when people talk about storytelling with branding. So I know this is a whole thing. People love telling stories. People love branding. But I really see, like, as particularly advertising's obsession with storytelling as this um, disassociation from the actual actions that corporations take and their actual involvement in politics. It's like Coca-Cola is going to tell us this beautiful story about um, a diverse, inclusive 
world. But then what are they doing? How are they using their money? You know, what choices are they making behind that? I see that as dishonest. I see that as not aligned. So for me, I want my business to be a place. And I know like, I know you're you're a major core value for you is transparency. And my version of that is honesty. And I'm like, I want my business to be honest. I want the words to match the actions. And so for me, that means um, using my voice around things that I care about politically. Mm, I love that. All right. Um, in kind of our, our pre-interview, you mentioned to me that you're doing a lot of juggling right now. And I've been thinking a lot lately about the juggle uh, that entrepreneurs and business owners face. Um, and so that really kind of piqued my interest. I'm curious what is working for you right now to kind of stay on top of things, to stay focused, to get done what you want to have done, what needs to get done as you start to build out uh, this this bigger business model for yourself. Yeah, it is so body-based for me. It's so mm. much about grounded practices, intuition, discernment. Um, I, I worked with an energy healer for about seven years studying with her. It was fascinating and really uh, powerful and fun. And uh, I learned a lot of techniques. I think it's so much about me finding my center. And then there's this other piece. I can't remember if I typed this to you about this question or another, but um, I am really interested in this idea of having a relationship with your business. And for me, um, this also is a seed that was planted by working with that healer, that your business has a spirit. I mean, maybe not every business. Some businesses are just mechanical profit (laughs) machines. Mm -hmm. But I think if you're leading a purpose-led business, there is actually kind of like a soul to your business. There's a spirit to it. And I am just like taking that and running with it. And even if you study with me, if you take if you do feminist business school, I will guide you through the process of meeting your business spirit, this little, this little soul. But I do that with myself and I have developed this practice of actually kind of like, um, mentally talking to my business. Like, what do you need? How can you help me? Here's what I need. That is really helping me know what to prioritize, what to make choices about. I know it sounds so woo and crazy, but I will tell you the proof is in the pudding. Like when I do this with clients, they love it. And it's just this feeling of like, oh, I'm not alone. I'm in partnership. I'm in partnership with my business and we're doing this together, you know? And then it's, it's a lot clearer to know what steps to take, what to do, what doesn't need to get done. I love that. Can you walk us through that process a little bit more? Like what does, when you actually sit down to talk to your, talk to the soul of your business, what does that actually look like? Cause I agree. It sounds kind of woo. And at the same time, I'm like, oh no, that makes complete sense. I'm all for that. Like let's, let's drill down into that a little bit. Oh yeah. And it's fun, right? It's fun to be right. like, oh my gosh, what of my business is my imaginary friend? Because you are <laughs> kind of in an imaginary relationship with your business. Anyway, we all know that anyone who's been yeah. in business, you're like in this thing and some days it's good and sometimes it's bad. Um, So for me, I created like a little space. Again, kind of like my physical space is so important to me as a way of embodying the things I care about. So in my new office, there's like a little cubby hole that's dedicated to my business spirit. And I have like a little, like mine has its very clear personality and I know what it looks like. So there's like a little representation of it in there. I've got some notes, some little intentions and reminders and just some spirit stuff that I like. And it's really close to right my right my main working space so I look up at that and I'm just like oh yeah sister like connect with sister ask sister like 
just, just be present. And sometimes they'll be like, Oh, come on, sister, like bring me some clients or like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you, it's kind of like you're, they're there to help. Like your business wants to succeed. Your business like came to you with the express goal of like existing in the world. So I think your business is your number one ally. So it really is just being playful, open and talking to it. Like sometimes I'll journal and, you know, like ask a question kind of like to my business and then write, I don't know, some people have done that, um, type of journaling for advice in general. And you can do that just to your business. Like, you know, what do I need to know? Or you can tell your business what you're grappling with, or you can be like, I really feel like I need more information about this thing. Like say you need financial analysis help. You could just be like, I do not know. Just send me the person that's going to give me the information to help me understand this. Oh, neat. I, I love, I just love this idea. And I love, uh, you know, I, uh, I love it from a, a discernment perspective, but I also love the like the physical representation of your business as being separate uh, from mm -hmm. yourself as well. Because I think one of the things that uh, especially very small business owners um, tend to really wrestle with is whether they are their business or whether they are building a business, right? Yeah. And um, I love the idea of actually sitting down in front of something that represents that thing that is your business instead of it, instead of looking inside, you're actually looking outside. And yes, I'm sure that's a process of looking inside too. Yeah. Um, but that seems to be, to me, so much more productive and, and really kind of reinforcing some of the things that we need to be doing, thinking about thinking in, in different ways. So yeah, I, thank you so much for kind of laying that out. Cause I think that's going to be really helpful for, for people. Similarly, um, you are kind of making this shift yourself where you have been the business, you've been the consultant, you've been the person, you, you know, you've been for hire, right? And now yeah. you are building, uh, a, you are building a business that is separate from yourself, you're building a school, you're building a community, you're building a think tank, which is a huge identity shift. How are you approaching your business differently today than you were a year or two ago? Yeah, I really, and I have to thank you for this, Tara. I watched a couple of your creative lives and it really helped distill a lot of ideas around this. And I think you were the first person that was like, it's an identity crisis when you shift <laughs> into like a lot, when you scale, you know? Yeah. And um, I was like, oh God, that is exactly it. Because when you are the business or, you know, you're a solopreneur, it is so much your identity. And I am such an artist and a creator that like that is really comfortable for me to be like, I made this, I'm making this, I make all the things like we just make and solve problems and play business. It's fun. And um, and then to actually step into leadership, to step into stewardship and to step into management is um, is taking. A, yeah, it's taking me moving First of all, it's taking this, I'm asking this and holding this question of like, where is the art in that? Like, what is the art of leadership? Because I will always be an artist at heart. So I have to find the creative practice within it. And that is kind of like the fun of like, wait, how do I want to set up my business? What is our company culture? You know, what do we care about? What does the office look like? You know, what, what are our ways of interacting with each other as I build out a team? So part of it is like continuing to find the art in there, but part of it is just really owning that like I'm 40 years old I've been in business for 17 years I know a lot of stuff you know I'm like good at what I do and that this is a time to take those skills and to create something bigger than myself and so that just what we were talking about with the business spirit 
that's really helping. And I did um, change the name of my business. It was Armbrust and Co. before, and now it's Sister. And that was a significant change. You know, Sister is, it's a kin- kinship word. It's The relationship is built into it. It's like a sister, it never exists alone. And so I, I'm really just trying to own that my new job is to create something bigger than myself and something actually where I don't have to do the work too, where I can create a creative space where we're generating ideas, where we're generating answers, where we're cultivating a framework for feminist entrepreneurship. And my job is to create that vessel. Mm, I love that. And yes, that's your experience and my experience, I think are pretty similar with that. Um, I'm curious what is sort of practically, how has this changed the decisions that you've made over the last year, the the direction that you've gone over the last year and kind of the results that you've gotten from that? Yeah, I think when I started, um, I started Feminist Business School just a little over a year ago, and it was sort of started as a side project. It, my main gig was still consulting, um, working one-on-one. I didn't actually really see that shifting. It wasn't like I was like, I'm going to start a school and make this my whole new pivot business. But um, I was instead like, oh, I think I have this curriculum in me. I'm going to write this and put it out there. It was like really underpriced. And I, it just, it, it suddenly like became more successful and bigger than I could have imagined. And that was a good shift for me because it's such a different way of working to teach and to create online curriculum and to be working with like 20 people at a time Mm -hmm. instead of sitting uh, with one person. So that was the first piece of it. And then I think as I got in it and was teaching and writing and creating content, again, I want to surf. I want to like travel the world and surf. And I was like, I can see a vision and the value of creating a framework for feminist entrepreneurship. It doesn't exist right now. And I feel like I had to look at this, get to this crossroad and look at the two paths and be like, okay, Jennifer, are you going to do it by yourself? Or are you going to create the structure that allows you to co-author that Mm. framework with other people? And it was like, a no brainer for so many reasons. First of all, because the very principles of feminine and feminist ideas says together, it doesn't, it doesn't say like, you're the hero that creates the genius idea. It says like, we do this together because what we know together is more powerful and more important than what one person can figure out. And then it was just a time analysis thing where I was like, I don't want to work 80 hours a week, which is what it's going to take to make this framework. Mm -hmm. So that was that was the big shift and the big split of like, it's not about me anymore. It's about me. It's about like, I hold the vision. I know what I want to make, but I need to do it with other people. So as we start to wrap here, I'm, I'd love to just find out, you know, what are you up to over the next six months? What kind of programs are you guys rolling out? And, um, and where can we find out more about uh, digging into the feminine economy with you? Oh, yeah. Everything is at sister.is.is, sister.is. And I've got a lot going on that I'm really excited about. You know, if you have any any listeners out there who are either solopreneurs or new to business, I've got a concepts and conception class, which is really my first class, the fundamentals class that is starting at the end of May. And that'll be a summer cohort. It's an eight week online class. It's an intensive, it's an incubator. It's where we really 
really look at how to be a new way in business. And because that one is concepts and conception, the conception part is where you will conceive your business, AKA you'll meet your little business spirit. And I guide you through that whole process. And it's about values. You know, it's about your manifesto. It's about connecting with your business and getting clear, getting a clear foundation that you will build on. So that's the basics course that's coming up in May. If you are already in business, you have employees. I've got um, a 12 week visioning course that actually starts in, um, it starts on uh, April 10th. And that one is a 12 week class. That's all about alchemy. And what we do over those 12 weeks is you write your own vision handbook. And I, and that is where you are in deep communion with your business spirit. You're just checking in all the time and doing all of this visioning, this iterating. That is just idea central. It's like, what is the vision of your business? So that's for people who either have taken concepts and conception or have an existing business and you want more purpose or you want to pivot or you want um, you just want more. I'm going to help you imagine that. And those are so those are the feminist business school curricula. And then uh, what I'm working on as a as a longer term project that right now I expect to launch in September is what you mentioned, this think tank. And I'm so excited about that. And I've really been inspired by co-commercial and your online community. And it will likely exist in a mighty network as well. And um, and. A traditional think tank is um, usually a nonprofit organization that is commissioned by an outside, often political entity for to create research around a topic um, that's used in advocacy. And I'm kind of turning that on its head and I'm saying, let's create a think tank by us for us where we're doing mm-hmm. research and advocacy for the community members. So that really is about us generating our own, um, like sharing the knowledge that we've accumulated, sharing the choices that we have made that are in alignment with feminine and feminist principles so that we can begin to see what other people are doing. And then to also make it a site for experimentation of like, how can we make new choices and what happens? And then, um, and then I want us to create an annual publication of that, of our findings, so that we are really distilling what we learn together as we co-author a framework for feminist entrepreneurship. So if you're interested in that, you can go to my website and sign up for my mailing list and I will keep you in the loop when it happens. Perfect. Well, I can't wait to find out more about the Think Tank and just everything that you have going on this year. It's been um, really exciting to kind of watch things bloom over the last year for you. And uh, and this has been a fabulous conversation. So Jennifer, thank you so much uh, for kind of giving us a window into uh, what's what's possible and what works inside the feminine economy. Oh, I love it. And I just want to thank you too, Tara, because I have found particularly, I'll just plug your little creative live (laughs) talks. Those have been so powerful for me, like the community one, the product one, and the um, hiring one all. I was like, oh, yes, so helpful, so clear, so grounded, and so useful. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Find out more about Jennifer Armbrust and Sister at sister.is. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of What Works. It's Rebels with a Cause Month at Co-Commercial, and we're talking about creating more sustainable and ethical small businesses all month long. If this interview has inspired you to take a fresh look at your business's social, environmental, and commercial impact, we've created a resource for you to do exactly that. We've come up with 10 ways you can make your business a force for good and each take less than an hour to implement. 
Plus, we're asking our community and listeners like you to contribute their own suggestions for building businesses with a positive impact. To get in on the conversation and find out some easy ways for you to bake doing good into the way you do business, go to ideas.cocommercial.co slash force for good. That's ideas.cocommercial.co slash force for good. That's it for this week's episode of What Works. If you love getting a behind-the-scenes look at how real small business owners are making it work, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. We also appreciate you leaving a review and sharing the podcast with your friends or colleagues. What Works is produced by Rosie Medias and edited by Marty Seafelt. Kristen Runvik prepares our show notes. Our opening music is by The Shrugs, and our ad music is by Marley Carroll. Tune in next week for another look at how small businesses actually work.